This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is back next week, returning on Tuesday. You will definitely want to reserve a line for our special guest today. We are joined for the full hour by Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of the COVID-19 Science Advisory Table, and he is open to taking your calls and questions as well as mine. Here are the numbers to call, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. Again, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866- 6-740-4740. Dr. Uni, welcome, and thank you so much for spending the hour. Thanks for having me again. Have you had much of a holiday? I know you've been working nonstop for almost two years. Uh, well, not much. I, I made it uh, roughly 18 hours, one, one eight. <laughs> that was my holiday. You had 18 hours off. Yes. <laughs> not even 24 Um, You have been so visible during this pandemic and among the reliable voices. Uh, So before we talk about Omicron and all that goes with it, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your background as a scientist? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm an epidemiologist and general internist, you know, and uh, I grew up in Switzerland, as most of you know, meanwhile. And this actually all started for me uh, when I was in the students' bookshop uh, in Bern, you know, a small bookshop, and there was this red book by uh, somebody called David Sackett, a Canadian, um, who wrote a book about uh, clinical epidemiology at the time. And from my perspective, it was actually really about use your own mind, use your own judgment, and don't just believe the professors. And this really just hijacked me, this book, and I could never let it go again from there onwards. And I just knew I wanted wanted to become an epidemiologist, did my uh, clinical uh, medicine too, in addition, but was always just having in mind that I would want to uh, do uh, clinical research. And that's actually what happened then. And, you know, years later, I ended up being headhunted to Toronto. Did you ever imagine that you would be at the center of a pandemic, uh, providing guidance and information to those in charge? Oh, not at all. I mean, look, what's happening right now, nobody, nobody could have imagined at all. Um, and uh, and it's, yeah, we need to deal with it as, as we go right now. But all of that, you know, it's like these last nearly two years, it was really like going back to med school. You know, it was like when I was the third year med school student reading this book by Dave Sackett. I just, you know, every day is new again and you just need to uh, absorb what's coming, what's new now and now we're just uh, facing the last challenges. By the way, what I hear in the background is all the children. I'm sitting in a car (laughs) in Muskoka and we didn't make it home before this interview, so it's a bit noisy. It's my children in the background. They're just leaving the car. (laughs) Well, that's real life, right? (laughs) Yes. 
so, how does it work with the COVID nineteen science advisory table? Like, how many of you are on the table? How do you come to consensus and offering guidance to the government leaders? How does that work? Well, so it's it's a volunteer table. So the only positions that are uh, partially covered are. Um, uh, members of the Secretariat and myself, actually, uh, because we work nearly full-time, um, and uh, everybody else is there as a volunteer. We meet twice a week, 90 minutes typically. We, do, we won't meet tomorrow, but uh, but most of the time we have met since, uh, when was that, July 2020. And, uh, and it's basically through discussion. We just share so much of our time together that we really start to, you know, develop a common sense of reality. We have these meetings, we work on slide decks together, we work on briefs together. It's a very collaborative spirit and it's, it's actually extraordinary if it comes just, you know, to the way of just experiencing everybody trying to help and everybody just trying to make the best out of it. And how do you all then work with uh, Dr. Kieran Moore and Dr. Staney Brown? How, how does that relationship work? So Staney is, the, is uh, one of the co-chairs. We have two co-chairs, Staney Brown and uh, Brian Schwartz. Uh, I'm the scientific director. Uh, basically, I'm the, I'm the, the hands-on guy. Uh, in the in the background, which who became hands on in the foreground, as we as we all know, so Staney is the one who typically talks to uh, to uh, cabinet, etc. Um, we are we all Staney, Brian, and I talk to Kieran Moore. So I have typically, especially since Omicron, you know, I have typical exchanges daily with him, either by text message or by phone. And uh, and we really just uh, try to develop this common sense of where we're going. Well, when you and I talked uh, back in the middle of December and Omicron was just starting to explode, you said to me on the air here on Fight Back, you could scream. Do you still feel that way? No, dear. Well, look, it's, this is part of human nature, what we see again and again and again. You know, it's uh, one, one um, stage uh, of, of uh, grief is basically denial. And uh, sometimes also wishful thinking. And of course, we've seen that again. Um, you know, there were all sorts of misconceptions about how this would all play out. And, you know, we now start to see what these numbers that have exploded over the last uh, few days and uh, perhaps two weeks or so, how they start to translate into hospital admission. It's normal. It makes us all human. You know, we just misjudge the situations. And, and it's, you know, some are quite a lot of the discussions we just need to have, even though it's just human psychology that plays. We just need to all absorb. We have a challenge. We need to deal with it now. And it's not always great to be the messenger for that. No, that is for sure. Uh, by the way, if you're just joining us, it's Dr. Peter at Uni, along with Jane Brown for Libby, Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And Dr. Uni would like to take your calls today as well this hour. The numbers are 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Uh, let's get started with Bobby in Etobicoke. Bobby, hi. Welcome to Fight Back. Hello, Jane. So what do you have a question for Dr. Uni? Yes, I do. Uh, question is, I just got out of the hospital uh, in uh, early August, and I, I had a broken hip. And I got no way of getting around. I can't drive. 
and I want to know how can I get my third shot? Can I get it in pill form, or will they come here and give it to me? What do you think, Doctor Uni? There are yeah. pe- there are people who are isolated and, and homebound. Absolutely. Look, it's a big challenge, and and to be honest with you, you probably will need to try to talk to you know local vaccine clinics or a hotline and explain the situation. We will have a lot of people out there who, you know, will not make it right now through this mass vaccination effort again. And we need to make sure that you will get your third shot. And this will again be some of that will be door to door. Um, and uh, we need to we need to find solutions that will be very challenging now during the next few days. What is important for you now is just you know to uh, to stay away from crowds, etc. Be aware of it's very prevalent now, um, and uh, and obviously you will not be able to move a lot anyway. Just also be careful if people are visiting you. You need to stick to all the public health measures that you're aware of, including masking and really good ventilation at home if somebody comes to your home. Okay, good luck to you, Bobby. Thank you for yeah, calling. I follow all the rules. I just still can't get out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think that, that guidance about contacting uh, the vaccine clinics, that is the way to go. Uh, because you're right, Dr. Uni, during the uh, first and second shots, uh, people were, they were going these clinics door to door eventually. Are you impressed with the rollout of the booster program so far? I didn't get that. Can you repeat your question? Are you, are you impressed or pleased with yeah. how the third shot program is going? I think we're doing really well. So, you know, we, we just uh, had a little dip now over the holidays, which is normal. But immediately before the, before Christmas, we actually made it to 250 doses a day again which is excellent. We just need to keep going with that as fast as we can, you know, at least until mid-January. Okay, so let's talk about Omicron and what you know as of today about this variant. Yeah, so, you know, the the most important uh, part for all of us is just to understand that if you have been infected or vaccinated with two doses of the vaccines, you will not be protected against another infection or a first infection in case of uh, you having been vaccinated. And that's what gives this variant such an advantage over what we've seen before. We don't know exactly how much more transmissible it is than Delta. It doesn't even have to be. But because it actually infects nearly everybody, unless you have had your third dose, um, it really just spreads extremely widely. And that's also one of the things that really uh, confuses people then. A lot of people out there have had two doses of a vaccine or were infected. They have a lot lower risk to end up, luckily, to end up in our hospitals, which is great news for all of those who have some immunity. The problem is, and that that was really confusing people, that we still have 1.5 million people out there, you know, 12 plus in age, who haven't seen a needle, not immune through vaccination, and most of them not immune through infection. And that's the people at risk. And for those people, we see most likely uh, roughly 
a halving of the risk of hospital admission and ICU admission, so 50% of what we saw with Delta. But if these people, if this 1.5 million get infected all nearly at the same time, you know, within within weeks, basically, we will just have a really, really major challenge in our hospitals. That's so, the, the news in a nutshell. Okay, so if you're double vaccinated, you might still <laughs> contract it and be asymptomatic or have mild symptoms, but you are not likely likely to go to hospital with serious disease? Oh, it can still knock you out quite a bit. You know, I hear now of many people with two doses who weren't really careful. Oh, one of our contractors is actually pretty funny, you know, just admitting to me. I went to a dance hall with, uh, with eight other people and uh, so, sorry, seven other people. And out of the of the eight people, seven uh, uh, got it. And he's knocked out quite heavily, but he doesn't have to go to the hospital. So he's sort of okay. It's just like a heavy flu for him, for example. But it's not as bad that he would need to go to hospital. That's the point. But it can still hit you quite hard. So, Dr. Uni, for those who have yet to be vaccinated or are partially vaccinated with one shot, uh, Omicron could be quite severe. That's the point. Right now, what we know is that uh, on average, 50% reduction in the risk of hospital admission. That's preliminary data. You know, we'll see how this all plays out in a few weeks from now. But that's roughly a starting point. I would hope, based on everything we know, you know, that we, see, that we will see also among unvaccinated people less deaths. But that's just the hope. We don't have good numbers there. And that we would see a bit less even if you end up in hospital, a bit less um, ICU admissions. But again, the data there are really wobbly and we can't really tell. Let's go back to the phones. And again, we do have lines open. If you would like to ask Dr. Peter Uni a question, you've heard him here on Fight Back many times. You see him on TV. He is the scientific director of the COVID-19 Science Advisory Table in Ontario. Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or 1-866-744-740. Calling from Mississauga, Sita, how are you today? Good, thanks. Jane, how are you? Fine. What is your question? Uh, yes, Dr. Uni, thank you for your contribution. Sorry about the danger this puts you and your family in. So all the best thanks. moving thanks. forward. Um, isn't this a good thing? Maybe we're lucky since most people are getting affected with Omicron and surviving, um, especially unvaccinated, that we can say that more people are getting antibodies which Absolutely. means which means maybe this pandemic eventually become easier to live with just like the flu and eventually fade away Yes, it's a really good point you're making. So what is important to realize is this is a, a bit like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, obviously, so I can't really talk about it, but this is, from my perspective, a bit like giving birth here. That's the worst birth pain to come now. This will be the toughest phase of the pandemic because so many people are getting infected and there will be a lot of people ending up in hospital because of the sheer numbers of people. But it's, as you say, after that, once we actually are through with this wave, um, what we will see is that nearly everybody has had some form of immunity. 
a lot of people who, who uh, have had two doses of the vaccine will have reinforced immunity through the uh, the, the infection, and uh, nearly everybody who hasn't had any vaccine will have received some immunity through infection through Omicron, and this will start to change the face of the pandemic. We will probably be not be completely sh- uh, through with it, but it's completely, as you say, after that. I expect things to get easier, provided there's not a new curveball coming. You know, another variant hitting the jackpot. I hope that's not true. But even if this were the case, you're so right. Nearly everybody will have had some immunity and this will make a hell of a difference. Okay, Sita, thank you for calling. Always nice to chat with you. Um, Did scientists see Omicron coming, Dr. Uni? Absolutely not. Nobody could see that coming. You know, the point was, I was expecting that Delta, we talked about that, I think, even or with, with Libby, that Delta would become, you know, a supermutated Delta and it would come from this direction. But what we saw now is, this is maybe, we don't know for sure, but it may be uh, really the case that this was happening in a, in a patient with HIV in South Africa who wasn't appropriately treated um, against HIV and AIDS, who had, you know, an immunosuppression and then there was a chronic infection and this chronic infection allowed the virus to mutate over time. Here we are again, you know, we did never do our homework in global health properly. We still have an AIDS epidemic in uh, South Africa and what we now see may well be that this is backfiring. You know, if we as a Western society don't do the right thing, things start to fire back. So Omicron is a result of an AIDS, HIV, immunocompromised person perhaps contracting the virus and then it's mutating and, and now spreading around the world as we know it. It could well be. It could be another mechanism. You know, there are people who suggest it may have been in an animal host for a moment. This is less likely. Or it, of course, also can be another person who uh, who was immunocompromised. The point is, you know, we have seven. Imagine that we have 20% of the adult population in South Africa living with HIV. Among those 20%, one-third is not properly treated. And it's, a, it's again, it's a numbers game. You know, statistically speaking, what I was describing to you is the most likely scenario, how Omicron basically came into existence, yes. Wow. So if we look to the future, uh, let's just talk about short term. What do you see Omicron doing in Ontario in terms of the numbers, the hospitalizations, uh, the ICU capacity? Is, is that something you can forecast at this point? Has it been around long enough for us to know? No, what we see now is, you know, as expected, it's basically exactly the same as in the province of Gauteng in South Africa, where they started, and in South Africa, uh, that we now start to see upticks in uh, in hospital admissions. You know, when you look at today's hospital occupancy for COVID-19, numbers are going up. This will be followed uh, a few days later by, by more pronounced upticks in ICU admissions. And, uh, you know, what we now need to to, uh, to wait is really just to understand how much vaccine protection we still have after two doses against hospital admissions. This will go into our new estimates. Then we will get better estimates about the risk associated with Omicron, you know, among the unvaccinated to be admitted to the hospital, to end up on a ventilator or an ICU. And this will go into an next round of modeling, all of that. It's very, very difficult right now. The only thing which is very clear 
since this is so transmissible, uh, because of the, its advantage it has to also infect people who have partial immunity after vaccination or infection, it just means it's a numbers game. It will eventually, statistically speaking, end up in nearly everybody's court. You know, there's no such thing as anybody out there, unless you're a hermit, who will not be faced with it. And if you haven't had any immunity before, um, you will get infected. But then how do we, I guess this is what you are advising our political leaders, how if everybody is going to be touched by it and everybody needs to isolate for, uh, I guess we're deciding whether it's going to be five days, seven days or 10 days. How will society be able to operate um, over this next year? It, it will not take that long. You know, this will be a very swift wave. Uh, it will be tough for probably six to eight weeks. After six to eight weeks, we need to see how the dust settles. That's, that's the reality of things here. So what will happen is we will need to change our attitude still a bit more and make it towards the extent of contacts that we have seen, for instance, in Kingston. So when you look at Kingston, Kingston managed so far, if this is not a glitch, you know, just because they couldn't test anymore, but right now it looks as if Kingston managed to stabilize their numbers at a really high level, but they stabilized. If we achieve the same in the province, what we will then see is basically a long um, wave that is not as high that hopefully will allow us to just about make it with our healthcare system and also not have everybody knocked out at the same time. So it will be a combination of just not more than perhaps at any given time, more than 5% of the population being infectious at any given time point. That's one aspect. And uh, and, uh, the other aspect is we need to become or be really pragmatic regarding our isolation and quarantining, things will need to change because we can't be perfect anymore. This is too challenging, the situation. It will affect too many people at the same time. So we need to find new ways of being, you know, quite okay, quite safe, but not completely. We can't play this safe anymore. It's impossible. I do want to go back to the phones, but just along those thoughts, uh, the new guidance that's come out of the United States to reduce the isolation time, for asymptomatic COVID people to five days. Uh, What we're hearing in Quebec, allowing hospital workers that are asymptomatic COVID to continue physically going to work. Uh, What are your thoughts about that? Is that that the way we, we need to go? It depends on the situation. To be honest, the five days still scare me quite a bit. You know, this is not based on data. There is no data on that. And perhaps we might find more of a spot at seven days or so in this province, I would hope for, but I wouldn't know. You know, there's a lot of discussions going on. Let's see. Seven days plus a negative test, a negative rapid test at the end of the seven days, for example. Um, and then, you know, the other part is what to do in, in hospitals. Um, so I understand the colleagues in Quebec, there will be situations where you just need to keep the MRI machine going. And if you don't have anybody to look after that, then what you do is you do self-isolation at work. You basically have these people go there to work, but try to keep them isolated there, but have them do their job and make sure that the exposition others have with this person is as low as possible. That's the way to go if you have a challenge. If at any given time, 5 to 10% of the population are infected, you need to be pragmatic. Dr. Uni, we are joined by Lily in Toronto. Lily, go ahead. Hi, Dr. Uni. 
If a person Hi. if a person had COVID a year ago and they're not vaccinated, what kind of immunity do they have? Oh, that's very little. Um, their uh, cellular immunity will probably kick in very swiftly. You know, you have you have antibodies and you have cells, and the cells basically will uh, will uh, do their job. And we hope, based on some lab data, that this uh, will be longer lasting. But the importance is just to understand you can get very ill and you have actually quite little protection in a situation like that. It would really be important to get uh, at least one shot now on top of the infection that that somebody has had a year ago and ideally then a few weeks later the second shot and so on. Okay, Lily. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think we all have... A family member who has decided for one reason or another not to get vaccinated. And it's, it's hard to see them not protect themselves and protect others. But uh, those are the people. They're the holdouts, aren't they, doctor? It is an issue. Right now, we need to be aware of. If you have had two doses of a vaccine, you're not protecting others either if you're not careful. But you still protect yourself because you have some sort of immunity. If you have had three doses of the vaccine, and that's recent, you know, just four to six weeks, you also have a reduced risk of infection and therefore of infecting others. But right now, it will just be a most much more important just to make sure that everybody protects themselves through the measures and through getting vaccinated so that they don't get severely ill and end up in our hospitals. Dr. Peter Uni is with us for the full hour here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. He is the scientific director of the COVID-19 Science Advisory Table here on in Ontario. We need to take a quick break, uh, but you are welcome to call in before 1 o'clock. Numbers are 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation this week. She is back on Tuesday. And joining me for the hour is Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table, and your calls as well. Dr. Uni, I want to ask you in terms of demographics. Dr. Kieran Moore was saying not that long ago that Omicron is primarily affecting young adults. Is that still the case? No, no, it's spilling over. That's one of the issues. No, at the beginning, you typically, for every wave, you just first see young people who are socially more active and perhaps, you know, um, are in in riskier settings, especially also if they are essential workers, being infected. And then uh, that's a bit um, deceiving. Uh, Then people start to say, oh, infections go up, nothing is happening, everything is hunky-dory. And uh, it's typically, you know, the do-it-yourself epidemiologists out there saying these sorts of things because they don't understand how this is percolating across age groups. And in our situation that we're in right now, also because of only vaccinated people being in restaurants, bars and clubs right now, also percolating from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated. What you then see is just with a delay, you start to see hospital and ICU admissions go up. Let's go to Bill in Toronto. Bill, hi. Welcome to Fight Back. Hello. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much for putting this on. I had a couple of questions. One is uh, if if you have a rapid test and it's positive and you don't have a PCR test for two or three days after, 
is your quarantine from the rapid test or from the PCR test? Yes. So first of all, you need to be aware of that. If um, the rapid test is positive nowadays already, um, the challenge will be even to get a PCR test and you, st- and, uh, and you may just not be able to. So document well when the rapid test is positive, you know, that, that you uh, make sure that the date is clear. You may, you may want to even make a photo of the rapid test when it's positive for, you know, future purpose, for instance, for insurance purposes, etc. And, and uh, then you basically um, quarantine from, the, from, from uh, the moment of symptom onset that you had. And uh, and uh, you don't have to wait then, you know, the PCR test will come much later anyway if you get one, or then it's the rapid test. That's that's just fine. Be pragmatic there. The most important thing for you is now just uh, document if you have had a positive test. One thing which is also important nowadays, if the test is positive, it's most likely COVID, period. But if the test is negative, since it's so prevalent now, it's everywhere in the province. You can't trust the negative test anymore. That's also very important ah. to know. So in somebody's case, uh, like Bill's, if you have a positive rapid test, uh, <laughs> so f- for how long, if, if you can't get a PCR test, for how long do you wait before you take another rapid test? And when can you feel confident that you are COVID-free? Yeah. yeah, so from the moment of, uh, of symptom onset or when from the moment of the rapid test being positive if you didn't have symptoms, you would wait at least five days, five to seven days, and then you do a next rapid test. And if you start to, if you see that the rapid test then is negative, you know, you are on a downhill slope, you know, less virus, less virus, less virus. You had a positive rapid test before, now it's negative and it's at least five days after you actually became symptomatic or had a positive test then you start to feel, okay, this actually could now be a true negative. But if you do it right now at the beginning, you know, that you say, I want to visit my mother and I do a rapid test and if this test is negative, I just throw everything into the wind, including masks, etc., and all precautions, you're not uh, well advised anymore. Because the, the frequency of infections is so high right now, negative tests, if it's a rapid test, doesn't mean much anymore, unfortunately. Wow, because it was it was not that long ago before Christmas we were talking about Absolutely. family gatherings and rapid tests and so on, but that is no longer the guidance. No, no, it's it, right now, you know, it could well be that we already are, you know, 2 to 3% of the population at any given time, perhaps even higher, who are infectious right now. Perhaps it's already 5% of the population. Imagine right. every 20th person you see, I'm now here in a parking lot looking around, every 20th person I see walking by on average probably is infectious right now. Bill, is that helpful? Question: When you when you have a, uh, a positive test, do you start counting your quarantine from the day of the test or the day after? And does your quarantine finish on the tenth day or on the eleventh day? Yeah. So so if you have a rapid test and no symptoms, it starts to count uh, when the, the rapid test is positive. If you have had symptoms that are clearly associated with the rapid test the day before, you can start to count there. And right now, I will just go for ten days. You know okay. this. So, this so the eleventh day you're change. free. <laughs> the eleventh day you're free. Bill is asking. Yes. But, but to be honest with you, it will be most likely changing. It may well be that we're talking about seven days relatively soon, and I hope it will be seven days plus a negative rapid test. That you make it to seven days, you have a, a negative rapid test, fair enough. 
if it's not negative or you still have symptoms, etc., after 10 days, don't even bother to do a test because it just could confuse you. Okay, so Bill, thank you. doing it at home. <laughs> Bill has a lot like of questions. Put your test on like a newspaper with a date, date on it or something because you really have no... Well, yeah, uh, let, no, let me, bad. I'm going to let idea. you go, Bill, I'll let you go. And let me just follow up with that. Do you need to report your rapid test positive results anywhere, Dr. Uni? No, you can't. There are some PHU, some public health units where you actually are able to do it, but it's only voluntary anyway. Do it just to document for yourself. If you would develop long COVID, that you could document for yourself, you actually had a positive rapid test. And it's a good idea with the newspaper. I didn't think of that. That's a really good way. You see the date. You see the test, that's right. it. Okay, let's go to Allison in Scarborough. Allison, you have a question for Dr. Uni? Yes, I do. Um, my husband is immune compromised. He has an interstitial lung disease. He's had three full doses of Moderna, but the doctors can't really tell us if they're even effective on someone like him. Are they? Have you ever had antibodies determined? That, they, that they, you know, they did a serology and look how high the antibody levels were on the spike protein. No, he hasn't. Um, so so um, that's, that's a way to, to, uh, to figure that out. Um, it, it, what we know is, of course, there is reduced immunity, but I would hope that, that he derives at least some extent of immunity. What is really important now in the situation you're in, just tread as carefully as you can. You know, don't go anywhere with other people right now. Make sure that you have really good masks. You know, a KN95 in this situation will be important. Don't trust the negative rapid test, as I said just before. This will only last a few weeks, and it would really be important, if ever possible, to stay uninfected in the case of your husband. Okay, Alison, thank you for calling in. And Dr. Uni, uh, anecdotally, I'm also hearing that some people who are immunocompromised are in the process of getting their fourth shot, that they got their yes. boosters quite a few months ago, and that they are getting their fourth shot. And of course, we know that in long-term care, they are starting Absolutely. to give fourth shots. I was about to say two things related to this. One is, indeed, discuss with your healthcare provider or a vaccine clinic whether he can get a fourth dose, depending on when the third was. And the other part is, in case of an infection, if if he starts to be symptomatic, um, seek again contact with uh, your healthcare provider because there may be options for treatment. Dr. Peter Uni is with us from the Ontario Science Advisory Table, the COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. It's Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And your phone calls. Let's go to Lewis in York. Lewis, go ahead. Good afternoon, uh, Dr. Uni. Jane, I would like to know uh, how long before after, oh, after the third shot the protection kicks in. I'm 70 years old. And I, my two previ- my two first uh, uh, shots were with AstraZeneca, and the last one last week it was Pfizer. Yeah, uh, roughly two weeks. And be aware of after the protection kicks in, it's roughly an eighty percent protection against infection, not ninety anymore, or even higher than that. You know, uh, as we had it before with Delta and Alpha about 80%. So you need to continue to be careful. The point is right now already, if it's a week ago, you know, you will have more protection against serious outcomes. 
but against infection, the optimal protection probably needs about two weeks or so based on preliminary data. It's all very preliminary. Well, that's interesting because we did get conflicting information last week from Dr. Moore, who said after five to seven days, we would be fully immunized from the third dose. So is that inconclusive? Yeah, well, it's you know, the problem is a bit where you look at which data um, you actually just consider right now. Imagine this variant has been a lot, uh, you know, around just very little time, meaning things are also changing. When I look at, you know, some of the data out there, I would really play safe and assume two weeks. But, you know, uh, it, it's, it's very clear if you have a third dose, the immune system has a lot to work with and you already have increased protection after seven days. But we've seen that with variants before, if they're immune-evasive, it needs a bit longer until the full protection is there. Okay, Dr. Yuni, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, I want to ask you about the symptoms of Omicron and how they are different from previous variants. That is next, and your phone call is also welcome, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Along with me today, Dr. Peter Uni, the scientific director of the COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. So, Dr. Uni, what about that? The symptoms of Omicron different from symptoms of earlier variants of COVID-19? Yeah, so what is important just uh, to uh, keep in mind, what you heard before regarding symptoms is, uh, all can still occur, but um, it's quite interesting, you know, this uh, variant shares a bit more uh, genetic sequence with the uh, virus that causes the common cold, and uh, symptoms of the common cold are just uh, more frequent, it seems, especially in people who have had some immunity. So it's, you know, like scratchy throat, muscle aches, extreme tiredness, dry cough, night sweats, um, and, uh, you know, uh, really a loss of appetite um, or even nausea, that stuff that was reported in the UK. There's, you know, Tim Spector, a colleague of mine, who has this app where people can report what kind of symptoms they have, and that's actually the new set of symptoms. In addition to what we, what we know, probably the loss of taste and smell is much less frequent. Okay, because that that used to be a big identifier, didn't it? The, Absolutely. The, yes. Um, so you mentioned nausea. Could that include vomiting as well? Um, I, I believe it could. I've never heard it by by uh, by somebody, but uh, the nausea for sure. I'm also not quite sure, you know, what we know here with uh, children uh, in uh, the U.S. actually just being admitted to the hospital more often, how much of that actually is related to nausea, perhaps vomiting sometimes, and and uh, and then therefore just uh, dehydration, you know, that they don't drink enough, etc. anymore, that this could be one of the reasons, that's purely hypothetical, okay. that we see a bit more children in the U.S. now ending up in hospital. Now, I want to ask you, and I, I know I've had this conversation with friends and family. Everybody's sort of feeling the symptoms like, you know, are we imagining that we we have a stuffed up nose? Are we imagining that we have a tickle in our throats? Um, because so many people are contracting Omicron, is, 
Is that just our brains playing with us or are those real symptoms? Oh, it could be both, of course, you know. So so I think it's important not to be overly, uh, you know, sensitive and not imagine, starting to imagine things, but just listen to your body. It's it's very challenging to tell sometimes, no? Yes. Um, but but um, it's, what is clear is if you start to have symptoms of a cold, you know, it's probably COVID. Wow. It's the situation we're in right now. Okay, let's go to Lisa in Hamilton. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for waiting so long. Oh, no, not at all, Jane. Thank you for taking my call, and thank you, Dr. Uni. I just, I'm just trying to get a little bit of clarity for myself. Um, way, way, way higher than we've ever had, clearly. But the illness degree is much less. Right. And it's similar, isn't it? Like, this is why I need clarification. So with just any of the bad influenza strains we have, the numbers come and go. They're up and down. We always have people super sick. We do get people sick at home. I guess I'm just thinking, here we are. We're all in a kerfuffle again, which is, you know, I, I guess I'm just trying to understand the, the kerfuffle. There's, mm. you know, they're talking about, oh, are the kids going to go back? Oh, now we can't have people in the restaurants. You know, all these things. But the majority, the vast majority, and our, my family's all triple vax, thankfully, um, don't seem to be suffering the, the symptoms and the consequences. So I guess, I don't know, can you add a little clarity? Like, it, it's yeah. hard to yeah. get my head around. You know what, and that's a great question and a very good observation as well, Lisa. Thank you for calling in. I'll let the doctor answer. So the first most important thing just to realize is that you have now a lot of people out there who pass, who are now are partially immune and luckily now don't have this, uh, you know, high risk of developing serious outcomes anymore. It's exactly as you say. You have a lot of people now who have been double vaxxed, triple vaxxed, infected who get infected again and they luckily, most of them don't end up in our hospitals. Great news. But the problem is, if you continue to have 1.5 million people without any immunity, a lot of those people then will get infected. And this means we still have too many people ending up in our hospitals. That's the challenge at hand. Right. The point is, the more we go now with Omicron especially, the more we will find that nearly everybody will receive some immunity through infection now or a combination of infection and, and vaccination or have received a third dose, the first dose, etc. All of that helps to make this less of a challenge. But right now, it's the worst moment for the, in the pandemic because we still, even though we have been so successful with our vaccine rollout, have too many people are completely vulnerable. And this means we still have a burden to the healthcare system, which would be tremendous if we just see all of those people ending up in our hospital at the same time. Dr. Uni, what about long-term care residents? We know that... We miss you. Yeah, I mean, we all know what happened in the first and second waves. We're talking about thousands of people who died. Uh, how well protected are those individuals having received their third shot in the process of getting their fourth shot? Uh, there are visitor restrictions that go into effect tomorrow. Do we need to be as worried about the elderly as we have in the past during the pandemic? 
I think we need to be very careful. I hope we need to be less worried than before. But to be honest with you, you know, we will need to see how this all plays out. And um, we've seen people after three doses dying now in long-term care. We've seen people after three doses ending up in hospital in long-term care. And I hope this will all be much less frequent than before. But what you need to be aware of is... You bring in every single one of us brings in a risk into this this uh, equation, and this risk is mainly dominated by our age. The older we are, the higher our risk. And of course, in addition, it's the setting we live in, like long-term care, and it is our comorbid diseases what we have in addition. So, what vaccines can do is they can decrease your risk that you bring in perhaps by 80 to 90 to 95 percent depending on the outcome but if you start with a high risk the resulting risk you have after vaccination is still much higher for you if you're 80 and have two diseases and live in a long-term care home than for somebody who has the same doses, uh, received the same amount of vaccines than you are, but who is 35. And that's really important to realize. We always start with a certain risk, and this can only be reduced by 80 or 90 or perhaps 95%. If it's high, you still have a little bit more risk. Uh, even if you have three doses. Therefore, we need to be extra careful in long-term care. You recognize his voice. It's Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of the COVID-19 Science Advisory Table here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back until the top of the hour. Let's go to Anna in East York. Anna, you have a question? Yes, I do. Um, I'm just wondering, how soon after actually having COVID can we uh, get the booster shot? How soon after having COVID can you get the booster shot, doctor? Yes, you want, you probably want to optimize your immune response. You know what you want if you get the, the, the next dose, that your immune system basically will be just having the best possible response. If you want that, you should wait six weeks or so. You will be well protected because of the, if you had vaccines before, plus the infection, you will be protected quite a bit. And uh, after that, wait for six weeks. It's a luxury problem to have. You could do it after four weeks. It doesn't matter. It's just that if you do it after six to eight weeks, you have the best possible immune response. Uh, Does that answer your question, Anna? It does. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And what about, uh, you know, for the younger people who've just recently become eligible for their booster? If you have symptoms of any kind of sickness, should you be getting your third shot or should you feel really well when you get your third shot or does it matter? Oh, look, the, the challenge here is that you don't want to go to a vaccine clinic and distribute anything. No, that's the major challenge. We need to be aware of that. Uh, if if it happens, for instance, that I just had a situation where somebody asked me about that in my, in my uh, private circle, you know, just received the booster and at the same day got infected. Is this a problem? The answer is no. But what you want to make sure is that you don't carry around any virus, be it COVID or something else, into a vaccine clinic. That's the only reason for that. And doctor, will your booster be just as effective ultimately if you get COVID and your booster around the same time? Most likely, yes. What you just you won't benefit simultaneously from the booster and the infection just the same way. So. 
it's much better to be infected first and have the booster later or the other way around for your immunity. But it doesn't matter. If this is, you, your booster will still be completely okay. You just happen to derive in, uh, then a, in a, an immune response in, as a combination of booster and infection. Let me just say our Zoomer radio listeners are coming up with some great questions. Uh, Daryl in Toronto, what would you like to add or ask? Hi. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank Dr. Ernie for all his work. Uh, yeah. Your professionalism, your demeanor, your advice has uh, been somewhat comforting through all this, so uh, it is appreciated. Uh, my question is, I'm 67 years old. Just over two weeks ago, I got my third Pfizer shot, so I'm presuming at this point I am enjoy- enjoying all the benefits of the vaccinations. Uh, at what point would I expect those benefits to start to diminish again? Yes. Um we're learning as we go right now. And what we are seeing is basically that if it comes to protection against infection, things start to decrease, you know, perhaps eight eight weeks or so, 10 weeks after the last dose, already a bit again. But this is very preliminary. There's just one single analysis that I'm aware of coming from the United Kingdom. Um, we will see how this how this plays out. The point is, eight to ten weeks from now, uh, we will be off the Omicron wave any, uh, in any case, and then we will slowly start to see the weather being better. I would bet right now on not having to, you know, for situations like yours, not having to go back and have another shot but that you will be able to wait until autumn when things, you know, become uh, prominent again. And we probably might have then a different vaccine to make sure that uh, that uh, you're able to get the best possible vaccine protection. But if it comes to infection, probably about eight, ten weeks or so again. But remember, you get something in addition now also with this booster, your immune system will get trained up more and your protection against hospital admission and ICU admission gets bigger and bigger. Well, that is great. Thank you for uh, that clear shot of what might be happening in the next uh, few weeks to know that Omicron will be done with us maybe by the end of eight weeks. Uh, Daryl, thank you for calling and thank you for your eloquent thoughts there about Dr. Uni. Thank you, and I also want to thank your show for helping to bring us all this information. It's been helpful. Oh, you're welcome. We have a great team here, uh, led by Libby and Zeev Hadi as well. Um, it's it's always a pleasure filling in. I learn as much as you folks do as well. Um, Dr. Uni, I need to ask you before we wrap up, and we might be able to take one more call, what about back to school, in-person learning next week? Is that a good idea uh, across the board, maybe just for high school students who are, are primarily vaccinated? What are your thoughts? Look, we have a situation where we haven't really done our homework with uh, decreasing our contacts, you know, at least by 50%. I was yesterday with our daughter, I had to go and uh, get some IT problems fixed, and it was a zoo in Toronto, you know? When I see that, then I would would, uh, actually just suggest probably schools are not the first thing to remain closed. Um, we need to be aware of infections will happen everywhere in the community, in the households, you know, of people who are just unlucky to get infected. And it will just be, a, you know, a combination of challenges we need to face. Right now, if I look at the evidence, there is no reason to uh, keep schools closed, but I can't tell you what will happen. What I just see and what pains me a bit is, you know, we are aware of the, the damage done with, with uh, school closures. And it's not the case that you know, the school closures would be any more efficient than, for instance, 
making sure that we only have 25% capacity in uh, sports arenas or uh, in restaurants. So we should get the sequence right. And what about, um, Stephen Del Duca was proposing this this morning, he's the liberal leader, making the COVID vaccine a universal requirement for students through the Immunization of School Pupils Act and run in-school clinics to ensure access. That seems to make sense to me. Yeah, look, we have a challenge right now, which is called Omicron, and we know that now, that it, since it is basically evades immunity, that we don't mutually protect each other. So this is really about protecting the students. And let's and and just uh, let's let's uh, think of it once more. We still are early, you know, with vaccine developments. You know, in five to eleven year olds, etc. We don't have a vaccine that protects the entire class, you know, um, because of the immunization of Omicron. So I'm not quite sure whether the case is as strong here. The case is much stronger for third doses for long-term care home workers, for example, because the third dose, if given recently, will help protect them against infection and against transmitting it to others. Okay, John in Mississauga, you've got about 10 seconds to ask your question. (laughs) Okay, quickly, I know you guys have enough work, um, doctor, but would it be possible for Ontario to report the ages of the people um, uh, rather than just the numbers? and might help some of the anti-vaxxers say, hey, wait a minute, what happened here? Okay. You mean the, the ages for those who are hospitalized? Yes, no, those of the case numbers. So if you have 10,000 cases, yeah. uh, break down the ages from there. Yeah, I should do new graphs. Let me work on that, perhaps, <laughs> with one of my fellows. Yes. Uh, well, Dr. Uni, uh, we only have a minute left here. Uh, any final thoughts uh, as we talk to you for the last time in 2021? Look, this too shall pass. It will be a really challenging six to eight weeks. But we're in this together and we need to make the best out of it, protect ourselves, protect our beloved ones, get vaccinated, keep this dawn wave as low as we can and make it as long as we can so that our healthcare system doesn't get overwhelmed. And when we come out on the other side, things will be better because nearly everybody has received some immunity. Doctor, I know you're an epidemiologist, but honestly, the good that you provide our uh, common mental health, it, it really is palpable. It's, um, it's, it's, we're very appreciative for your time and your efforts. Oh, thanks again for having me. And you know, if we don't communicate with each other and you just think they're doing something in their ivory tower, what's happening then, you know? Yeah. Nothing. We need to do that together. And that's why I keep coming back. Thank you so much, and Happy New Year to you. To you, too. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of the COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Jane for Libby, thank you for listening, and thank you for your great calls and questions. You made my job a bit easier today. Bob Comsick in the news coming up next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.